Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Women of Golf Show. I'm Ted Oderico, and joining me is LPJ professional Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts. We're broadcasting live every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the blogtalkradio.com network, bringing you some of the best golfers, teacher professionals, and entrepreneurs helping to elevate women's golf. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning, so grab your coffee and let's get started. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Women of Golf. I'm Ted Odorico, and right alongside is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional, Cindy Miller, and we are your hosts here on the Women of Golf. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning, Theodore. How are you today? <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing very well. You know, a quick, a quick side note before I tell about the show. Nobody ever called me that unless I was in trouble. So, uh-oh. <laughs> You're not in trouble. My aunt and my, no, I know. I know. I'm just, I'm just saying that was a, a running joke in my family when that when Theodore came up, which is of course my full legal name, but uh, obviously I, I like to go by Ted or, or what have you. But that was, whenever I heard that name, I know, uh oh, I was in trouble. So, uh, but anyways, glad everybody could join us this morning. We've got a great show. We're going to be joined a little bit later on by uh, Stephanie Pureth. Uh, she's an LPJ uh, teaching and club professional. And she's also the site director for the LPJ USGA Girls Golf in Miami. Uh, she'll be joining us on the second half of the show. But uh, speaking of, uh-oh, here we go, Cindy, uh, back into the no BS zone. And uh, this is part two of uh, your first trip to the golf course, What You Need to Know. And uh, just a, a quick recap. Last week we talked about um, basically just coming up to the golf course, some of the things that – you need to, to uh, understand when you're getting ready on your way to the golf course, um, make sure you're prepared, bringing the right things, uh, what you do when you arrive at the golf course, how you check in if you were, um, what you do with your, with your bag, and, uh, and if you don't have any, where you can even rent some equipment. And uh, we got you nicely set up for the first tee, and that's where we're going to pick up the conversation today. So, Cindy, um, we're ready to play now for those uh, newbies out there and we're heading up to the first tee. We've hopefully uh, gotten there early. We've had uh, something to eat either on the way to the course uh, or when we got there, we arrived early enough to maybe uh, grab a little breakfast or something. Uh, We've also had an opportunity to head out to the putting green and, and uh, practice uh, putt a few and maybe even had an opportunity uh, if their course has a range to hit a few balls just to warm up and, and loosen up. So that's always a good thing to do. But now we've arrived at the first tee, and there's a few different things that we want to think about here, and I'm going to let you lay them out. I'm going to just sort of tee them up here, no pun intended, and then just get your thoughts on that as well. Um, Obviously, we want to prepare when we're on the first tee. So what do we need to do when we get to the first tee? Um, Things like club selection are obviously important. How do we want to make sure that we get off to a good start? And how much time should we spend over the ball? That's a big uh, you know, a big no-no, if you will, if you're spending too much time. So maybe just touch on some of those and anything else that you can think of you want to throw in there as well um, when our new players uh, come to the first team. What should they be thinking about? Well, I'm going to back this up, and I'm just going to say I want people to watch 
their golf ball. Pay, number one, mark your golf ball so you know what you're playing with. Because if you don't look at what the ball's name is, you know, whether it's title is Callaway, TaylorMade, you know, Wilson, Bridgestone, right. Strixon, whatever the ball is, you got to look at the ball, and then you should get a Sharpie marker, and you should mark your ball um, distinctively so that you can identify it and say, oh, yeah, that's my ball. So that's a big deal. And then when you hit the ball, you need to watch where it goes. Because your playing partners, you know, to be a nice playing partner, you should watch everybody's ball, but it's not their responsibility to make sure that they pay attention to where the ball went. It's yours. Right. So watch where your ball goes. Now, next, when you're on the tee box, every time you hit a shot, you've got 40 seconds to do it. So we do a lot of playing sessions, and we've got this adorable little 8-year-old that we teach who takes three practice swings, walks back, lines it up, walks back in, so deliberate. And I said, honey, I love you, but you get one. You know, because if I don't teach them (laughs) at the beginning how to, um, you know, prepare to hit a shot, they're going to take as much time as they think they need, which they don't need as much as they think. And so uh, you've got 40 seconds to hit the ball. The other thing is, is if you're not hitting your driver straight, don't use your driver. Use something else to hit it in a fairway. Um, Again, this is going to sound mean, but we teach um, some competitive players, and one of them had a really bad round two weeks ago, and I said, uh, how long was the course? 5,200 yards. Okay. How many tee shots did you hit crooked? Five or six. I said, you could have shot better if you hit your seven iron off the tee. So don't be stuck in a game plan that doesn't let you see the forest through the trees. You know, make sure that your only mission is to hit it down the fairway, down the fairway, down the fairway, on the green, in the hole. Instead of, Mm -hmm. well, i got to hit my driver. Well, no, you don't. You know, when you get to the course, it's all about a score. It's not about how you hit it. Learning how to hit it is on the range and on the course right. how to score. Yeah, no, that's uh, some, some great points. And club selection is, is so important. Um, and again, especially for newer players, Cindy, because they're not, uh, unless they've got some hidden talent somewhere, um, most of them are not hitting it very well. And, and again, they get stuck on because they think, well, I've got to hit my driver. And you know, as we talked a little bit about last uh, time, we've talked about it before as well. You know, if you have an opportunity as a newer player, go to some of the shorter courses, even a par three course, if there's one available near you, um, and, and practice on those holes because really, it's all about scoring. And if you know, you don't, you don't have to get out there and try to bomb it a mile. As you progress as a player, obviously distance becomes um, more of a concern, but when you're first starting out in that, it's not so much how far you hit it, but how accurate you hit it. Because, you know, even if you hit it 200 yards, but if it's going all over the place, that's not doing any good. So I would rather, like you said, Cindy, I'd rather have them take a seven iron and tee up on, on some of the holes and, um, or even a, a hybrid club in some cases on a little bit longer holes and, and just to, to be more accurate. Um, you know, so that way, that helps them to build confidence. It puts them in a good position each time and they're not as anxious. The other thing um, 
you know, you're exactly right. I don't know how many times, and 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 I know you've seen this dozens of times. You've given a great example of it. Um, we want you to create a a repeatable pre-shot routine, but you don't have to to take 50 practice swings, and you don't have to get back two or three times and line everything up. Um, you can do it, as you said, within 40 seconds, and you need to do it within 40 seconds. Um, you know, when you're just playing with your buddies, you can get away with it. But if you're advancing and you're playing in some sort of a, a tournament play, um, you're, you're going to get marked. You're going to get nailed for that, and you're going to get penalized for it as well. So get into the good habits now when you're first starting out, so that that way um, you're going to know the rules. And that brings me up to um, one other thing I want to mention as well. Um, a lot of players, especially new players, don't understand this. Even some players I know that have played for, for a while. And this kind of goes to really any shot is um, understanding about playing a provisional if needed. What that basically means is if you hit an errant shot, you're allowed under the rules to hit a provisional shot. Um, and that's where you want to be really smart about it, especially if you pull out your driver and you hooked it or shanked it or whatever, and it's, you're not sure where it's going to be. Hit, hit a provisional. So that way, if something happens and you don't find your original ball, you're still in play. Now, obviously, you're going to get penalized for that but at least you're going to be in play. And that's something I think a lot of people need to understand as well. Um, the other is understanding um, the basic rules. Now, there's a rule book that you can get that's uh, published by the USGA, and um, it's, it's, it's got everything you need to know. And obviously, most people don't know every single rule, um, but some just general um, things that you need to know when you're going around the golf course, like, for instance, um, marking a ball on the green. You can only, that's the only place on the golf course that you can actually mark a ball unless there are um, conditions where it has been, as an example in tournament, you know the Cindy, if the, if the course is extremely wet um, and muddy, sometimes they will allow you out in the fairway to put a peg in, if you will, um, and, and actually in some cases even clean the ball, which normally you can't do only under extreme conditions. So the you want to make sure you mark that on the green and also dealing with bunkers as well. There's um, a certain protocol, if you will, if you get yourself into a bunker, bunker excuse me, um, you have to rake that bunker. And there's, you know, not I won't say a trick to it, but there's a, a, a way that really is going to help you. And uh, if you're playing with somebody that's a little more experienced, ask them to, to show you how to do it properly because it helps the people coming behind you. There's nothing worse than, you know, this when you come into a golf course and, people in front of you hit into, you know, a bunker and they don't rake it and you get in there and your ball lands into one of their footprints or something worse. Um, so be courteous around the course. What about some other rules that general rules, Cindy, I mean, we don't get too technical here that people should know about when they're playing it around. Oh, you know, one thing I would say is be ready to hit when it's your turn. Um, that's not really a rule, but that's a etiquette of how to play. So right. many people stand around looking like, okay, what do I do now? So the farthest person from the hole goes. And if mm -hmm. you're not sure, you could say, do you want me to go? Are you going or do you want me to go? Um, on the green, right. the farthest person from the hole goes. Here's one thing that I teach our students, that when you're on the green and you hit a putt, let's say you're 30 feet away, you and you knock it up a foot, you can say, I'll mark or I'll finish. So that's mm -hmm. another thing. Always mark your golf ball. 
So either you're going to mark it or you're going to finish it. You're not going to just leave it sit there because if somebody else hits your ball, it's a two-shot penalty. So you're either going to right. mark or you're going to finish. Uh, the other thing is be aware that other people's lines, you don't want to step in their line. And I don't mean to scare people, but just make sure that you're aware of where everyone else's balls is. I think that's the hardest thing for a beginner is to be aware of what's going on around them. Be alert to yeah. your surroundings. Yeah. yeah, that's a great point. And the other thing, too, is especially um, w- with really any shop, but particularly on the green because you tend to be a little closer to one another in most cases, uh, be careful where you stand as well. It's not just so much standing on their line, um, but um, you really shouldn't be standing in their line of sight. So, in other words, don't stand directly behind them um, where they're going to catch you in their peripheral. Uh, Peripheral vision, um, that's not really good. So you want to stand off to the side a little bit, and you want to be ready for when it's your turn. Um, A good idea, what I like to do, especially if it's not your turn, uh, you have a few moments, obviously, but to get up there and just kind of, you know, survey the the landscaping of the green, if you will, look at at, uh, where it slopes and and look at your ball from really all sides, just to get a general idea of how you feel the putt's going to be. And you can do that very, very quickly. You can actually walk. Uh, on the green and kind of feel the lay of the land. You can't actually uh, reach down and, and brush the green or anything like that, but you can certainly uh, walk uh, up the slope, if you will, just to get an idea of how severe it is. Uh, again, being mindful not to step in anybody's line. Um, so uh, again, you want to be, you want to be, uh, I guess it's not so much really a rule. You're right uh, in your analogy, Cindy, is, is etiquette. Um, having proper etiquette on the golf course is very, very important. And these are things that, again, if you've got some good playing partners that can help you with along the way, or if you're unsure of things, you can even ask them in the pro shop. The pros will certainly uh, give you a little bit of guidance as well. And that's definitely something you need to, um, when you're uh, taking lessons with your, your uh, uh, local professional, that you want to have a discussion about that, uh, especially before your first time on the golf course. There's nothing worse than you're getting out there and everybody's sneering at you and jeering at you because you're not doing things properly. And it's very intimidating for the first-time golfer. Um, any other things uh, as far as etiquette's concerned that you can think of, Cindy? I would just say be ready. Be ready. Be aware. Ask, you know, should I go next? You know, what do I do? Um, yeah. And if you're not yeah, sure what club to hit, I would bunt down the fairway with a 7-iron or a 5-hybrid, and then I would... Um, you know, chip with a nine iron and hit your putter. You know, you could you could basically play with four or five clubs. Right. You know, it's it's interesting that you say that. Um, I remember years ago, um, quite a while while ago, in fact, when it first uh, really appear, appeared on air, um, when the Golf Channel was first starting out, there was a professional who's still around today, uh, Wally Armstrong, who did that very thing. He played with a seven iron, a pitching wedge, and a putter. And he played a par three, par four, and a par five, and actually finished on three holes, one under par. Uh, obviously, he's a professional, and he can hit the ball well, but he proved the point that you don't have to always pull out the driver, that you can, uh, again, even with a seven iron, you can get yourself down, even on a par five, uh, in most cases, obviously there's some exceptions, uh, you can get down in three and, and get on the green for a good chance at, at birdie, uh, and and certainly... Uh, increase your chances for par. So if you can par um, mostly every hole doing that, then you're well ahead 
of what 50 plus percent of all the golfers out there, Cindy, that can't break 100. So it, it's a matter of being smart. Be smart out in the golf course. Um, you know, you don't have to do everything everybody else is doing when it comes to the rules and etiquette. Yes. Um, you want to be mindful of that, but you know, just because your playing partners are pulling out a driver, if you're not confident, if you're not hitting it well, that doesn't mean you have to as well. You take out the club that you're comfortable hitting, um, on that tee. Um, another one, Cindy, that, and this is not really a hard, fast rule. I want to get your thoughts on here. I have, um, some on it, of course, but, um, for our newer golfers, um, and again, unless they've got some hidden talent, talent, excuse me, are not going to, um, you know, necessarily shoot par or better. And you need to have a cutoff point. In other words, what score per hole or each hole are you going to say, okay, I've, I've reached my max. I'm going to pick up that because again, you fall into slow play, um, things like that. I'm going to give you what, what I think, uh, what I try to get my students to do. And then you tell me if you agree or if you think uh, something different. On your your par fives particularly, uh, even your par your longer par fours, do not go above eight. And that's really, um, again, depending on the pace of play, you might even want to shave that down a little bit. Um, obviously, I know it's gonna, not going to be an accurate score, but you want to pick up. If you're hitting, if you're not even on the green and you're at six, um, you know. It, you're just slowing everything up. Yeah. And on a par three, um, five, I, I cap people off at a five because, again, I know that's kind of close, or even a six, um, no more than that. If you can't make a six on a par three, you need to pick up. Um, what do you think about that? I think you're right. I, again, here's it's funny because a mom just texted me this morning, and she said um, – you know, you're booked up, I can't find the time, should the kids go do a playing lesson? And I said, uh, I found her a time, and I I said, no, we need to be able to hit the ball where they want it to go before we go play. So that sounds really mean, but learning the skill of how to hit the shot is so important. And I understand it's boring because no one hates to hit balls in practice more than me. Um, but if you can't hit the ball where we tell you to go with some type of consistency, going out on the golf course is the worst thing you can do because you're yeah. going to all of a sudden realize this is really hard and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm confused and there's too many commands on what I have to do and I don't even like golf. you know. But if you if you prepare yourself <laughs> and say – you know, I'm just going to take a half swing and bun it down the fairway and get it on the green and go to the next hole. That's all you need to do. Right. So I just, I'm fearful. And again, we've started people, we started this program, it's 36, you know, you got to shoot 36. Mm-hmm. So we, I made a spreadsheet for all of our students and for the ones who compete in real tournaments for 18 holes. How many fairways, how many greens, how many putts? If you missed the fairway, was it left or right? If you missed the green, was it left, right, short, or long? How many putts did you have? So you have to measure what you're doing. So if you were going to go play, I would say start at 25 yards and you have to shoot 36. And if you can't shoot 36, you don't go beyond 25 yards until you can. You've got to be able to get it on the green at three putts. Yeah. And what people don't realize, too, um, that actually helps your full swing because you're not taking a full swing 
um, you know, at 25 yards. So once you can perfect that short little swing that you need to hit 25 yards, it's just a matter of expanding a little bit more and a little bit more until you get to a full swing. But you're already going to have and, and feel that rhythm. And as you said, when you when you sort of master the 25 yards and you're and you're hitting that 36 number, then you back it up to the next yardage, which uh, you know uh, maybe 50, and you do the same thing until you do that. And ultimately, what ends up happening, next thing you know, you're you're taking full swings, you're doing it with confidence, you're consistent, and then it, it's just a matter of changing to the appropriate club um, for the for the uh, appropriate circumstance. So that's a that's a great piece of advice for especially for beginners. Um, and that's why I say if you can get a, access to a par three course, particularly, that's ideal um, because again you can work back, uh, and most of the you know the holes are, are not much over 100 yards. So um, when you do get to the full, so then that way you become really proficient with your iron play, particularly, and um, you're going to score, and then you're going to build confidence. And then when you get out, the other thing I want to go to your point real quick here, you know, you talked about not hitting it. What people don't realize, too, and this is where it frightens them, Cindy, when they get out on the golf course, is on the practice tee, uh, unless you know somebody moves you to uh, an area of the, of the tee that maybe has a little bit of a slope to it, you're playing on a perfectly flat surface. And your lies are even, everything you're hitting, so you're thinking, wow, I'm doing really well out here on the, on the practice tee. I can't wait to get to the golf course. Well, the golf course, good luck finding a flat lie <laughs> anywhere. You know, playing in tournaments, Cindy you know, especially somewhere like French Lick where you've got, you know, it's like a mountain goat. Um, you, you're not going to have too many perfectly flat lies like you would on the practice tee. So if you're not able to hit the ball and make the adjustments that you need accordingly, you're going to have a heck of a time in a playing lesson or even out playing at, at all. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I mean, I, and again, I hate to be mean, but it's best to start at um, 25 yards. I'm just going to tell you, it's best to start at 25 yards and get some success. Feel good about yourself. The other thing that's going to happen is you're not going to um, be out there forever. Right. You know? So. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, and and you know what? That's some great advice, too, not even just for new uh, beginners particularly for beginning golfers, you definitely want to do that. But even for golfers um, of any age or even any ability, that's a great way, particularly at the beginning of the season when you've been kind of rusty, uh, you know, especially for, for those of you maybe in the Northeast or even Northwest that, that have a little cooler climate early on, don't get the opportunity to get out and play um, uh, for a few more months uh, compared to some of us. And that's a great way to start your season, to get out there and play a quick nine, but at 25 yards and, uh, you know, and work your way back. And that helps you get some of the kinks and some of the rust off of the, the clubs, if you will, uh, rather than just going out there and, and thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to go out and play and pick up where I left last year, because that just doesn't happen, especially if you've been hibernating for four or five months uh, or longer. So um, very quickly, just go back to what I was uh, originally had asked or talked about. And that is um, what score should I consider picking up a club on your longer holes, fours and fives, no more than eight. And I would say on your um, par threes, no more than six, maybe even five in some cases on really short ones. But uh, definitely pick up after that. And the other thing I'm going to mention too real quick, um, and again, you've, you've got to be mindful of slow play. So you can do this if you're not the person driving the cart. Um, what I would do is take a small little scratch pad 
because uh, you're not going to have a lot of room on your scorecard. And what I would do is if you are struggling with your shots, just make little notes what areas you're really struggling with, not hitting the ball consistently, not you know, um, having difficulties out of bunkers or whatever. Make a little cheat sheet as you go along, as you're driving along in your round um, in between shots. So that way you can take that little cheat sheet with you the next time you're meeting with your, your, uh, your teach professional because then you can go over some of these things. I played last week in, in, uh, you know, with, with some friends, and here are some of the points um, that I made note of that I was really struggling with. And that gives them an idea of, of some of the things that we, we can work on. So um, just some food for thought. And the very last one, Sydney, I'll let you wrap this one up uh, before we get ready to bring on our guest. And that is sort of goes to what I just talked about, and that is assessing your round after the round. Um, what can you learn? So maybe touch on that a little bit. What are some things that you want them to be mindful of, what you want them to pay attention to, and um, what information you want them to bring you the next time they're meeting uh, with you at the, uh, at the practice tee? Well, I'll tell you what. If our listeners are interested, they can email me, cindy at cindymillergolf.com, and I'll send you the spreadsheet. So I want to know how many fairways, how many greens, how many putts you've had. Where did the ball go? How many misses went right? How many misses went left? Because that will show me what your tendencies are on the course. And that is so important to be able to fix what you're doing. So that's what I want to know. How many fairways, how many greens, how many putts? Yeah, and that's um, that's a great, great way. Uh, again, there there are so many ways to improve. Um, you know, Cindy, you, you you talked about you know playing at twenty five yards, um, par thirty six, if you will, if we call it for lack of better words, and that's a great way to get started, especially for uh, um, a beginning player and more importantly, even for a junior player, because you're not hitting it very far anyways. So that way it gives you a, a great opportunity. Um, and then also keeping track of the information that you just pointed out, Cindy, is a great way for you and your coach and or teaching professional to have a great discussion the next time you get together. Because then you can go over some of those points. You're going to have an idea of areas. And, and it also helps you too, I think, Cindy, would you agree, when you keep track of things like that, it keeps it fresh in your mind. You can say, okay, these are areas that I consistently have problems in, or um, it, it shows where a pattern of weakness is. And that's not to me- meant to be a bad thing. It's meant to really uh, be turned as a strength. Okay, if, if this particular area of your game or this particular um, situation is what's causing you a lot of stress and anxiety on the course, then those are things that you can um, look to improve upon so that you can turn it from weakness into a strength. So having that information, keeping those stats, and if you ask any professional out there that's played any length of time on tour, they will tell you they keep very close eye on the stats that they um, produce so that that way they can go back and work on those same issues that they have uh, struggles with. So if they can do it, the rest of us need to do it as well. Any final thoughts or or, uh, comments, Cindy? Nope. True, true. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Um, we want to thank uh, everybody. Hopefully you picked up some nuggets. Go back to last week's show uh, in the archive section. Go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf, and you'll catch part one uh, of your first trip to the golf course, what you need to know. And then, of course, you've just been listening to part two. Um, listen to them a few times. 
get uh, you know get uh, familiar with some of the things that we we pointed out. And again, it's very very basic. There's obviously a lot more things that we could talk about, but the idea is just to give you a general idea so that you're not quite as nervous at the golf course. And remember, um, always always feel free to reach out to your your professional that you're working with if you've got questions or you're unsure of things. And if you're at the golf course and you're in a position where you can't do that, then go into the pro shop and talk to them for a few minutes before you play or even after you play and just say, hey, I have some questions here. They're always happy to help you, so make sure you do that. All right, Cindy, we've got a great guest joining us this morning, uh, Stephanie Pirath. Uh, She is learned to play golf in England. Uh, She played for uh, a number of, of teams while she was there. Uh, she also represented Northeast England, uh, playing number one seed for their British Colleges of Sport team. Uh, she started at the ripe young age of 14, uh, and at that time knew it was something she wanted to pursue as a career, and uh, made the decision to, uh, at some point, to travel to the United States to continue her education and to play golf, of course, as well, and uh, earning her degree. Uh, she was extremely successful in both athletics and academics, earning Dean's List and Academic Honor Roll for five consecutive semesters and finishing with 12 uh, collegiate titles. Uh, she finished her collegiate career with an epic hole-in-one to win her final conference golf tournament. And after graduating, she joined the LPGA, uh, teaching in club professionals, and uh, she's currently the site director for the LPGA USGA golf, uh, Girls Golf, excuse me, uh, of Miami. So, uh, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest this morning, Stephanie Pirith. Good morning. Morning, guys. Thank you for having me. <laughs> wow. You're welcome. You're like a rock star. <laughs> Thank you. It sounds good when you say it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. You should believe it. So, where'd you go to college? Very um, I played uh, collegiate golf at D2. I played Pfeiffer in North Carolina for two years, and then I transferred to Concord University in West Virginia. And how was that? I like I like to transfer. I thought the change was good. Um, I was obviously I, I England, uh, coming from England with no issues, so it was nice to kind of be good for two years at one school and then go to another school for another two years just to get a different team and different golf courses and obviously different areas, different states. So you're traveling around different golf tournaments. So I absolutely love that. Um, I love, I was good at academics, but I hated, I hated academics. I was always just a, a golfer. I just wanted to golf all day, every day. Um, it was actually with my dad. He made me go get a degree. I just wanted to go to Europe, the European tour and play golf. Um, so my dad was like, you need to go get a degree. So that's why we came to the United States. So I didn't enjoy my academics, but I knew that they were important. So I stuck it out and I did it. Um, but for me, it was all about the golf and just getting out there as much as I can to travel and practice. Wow. Awesome. And how did you get to Miami? Um, it was, I was actually through a relationship, um, um, it just came up that I was able to travel down here, kind of walked into a golf shop, and they were like, we want you as an assistant professional. Um, I don't even think I had a real interview. <laughs> um, and then I just came down, took the job, and I was training to be on the semester tour and to actually pursue a playing career. Um, and then things changed a little bit, and I ended up following the teaching route and picking up girls' golf, and girls' golf's kind of what I eat, sleep, and breathe for right now. 
Good for you. Now, what club were you at? I went to the University of Miami, so that's why I'm asking a thousand questions. I'm at Mel Reese National Link, <gasps> right next to it. Come on. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that's, I that's where I'm many... Oh, that's so awesome. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, it's an it's a right. incredible facility, incredible ownership. Um, the Deluca leadership is absolutely insane. It's, They're it's still more than there? Yeah, uh, Charlie Senior passed away uh, last year, um, but uh, Charlie Deluca Jr. is um, still heading the facility, and he's he's probably the strongest family figure that I have, and he's just absolutely incredible. And he's, uh, he's yep, still under Maurice. <laughs> Oh my goodness! You got to tell him that. And I'm not sure if he's going to remember me, but Cindy Kessler, I knew the father. Cindy Kessler was my maiden name from the University of Miami, a thousand years ago. How cool he's, is that? He's probably going to know. It's so crazy. You know, I played the the LPG TCP National Championship, and it was up in Pinehurst a couple of years ago. And this is such a small world. And I was on the first tee box, and there was a starter. And he's like, where are you from? I'm like, Miami. He's like, oh, I used to be down Miami. Like, what golf course? And I, when I said Mel Reese, he jumped in and said, I know Charlie DeLuca. And it was such a small <laughs> world because I'm in the middle of Pinehurst in North Carolina talking about my boss, Charlie DeLuca. Um, and it was just such a small world. But, yeah, they're well known. <laughs> they sure are. All right, Ted, you can ask a question now. Um, well, Stephanie, good morning and, and welcome and thank you for, for joining us uh, here on the Women of Golf. And, and uh, it's like old home week for Cindy now that she's got somebody else uh, <laughs> down in Miami. Um, so let me ask you something. You, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how you eat, breathe, and, and sleep uh, the girls' golf program and that. Um, and there's a term that they use, girl-friendly. And I want you to explain what that's meant because – a lot of people don't understand. I, I want to set this up a little bit differently here for a second before you answer that. Um, and you probably know a lot of this, but based on many of the statistics over the last several years, that uh, most, in fact, I would say anywhere from 33 to 35% of all new golfers coming in each season, especially over the last four to five years, uh, are young females particularly. So there's a big, big interest uh, in girls' golf. Um, what do you think of that? Do you agree with that, that it's probably that, maybe even more? And what is it meant by uh, girl-friendly? So I know, actually, it's probably a little bit more. I know that in 2010, we only had 5,000 national girls' golf members, and that's the whole country. Um, I know today, in 2020, there's close to 100,000 girls' golf members. So just that leap mm. from 5,000 to close to 100,000 um, it just shows you the leaps that the LPGA, USGA have been taking to get the girls, the game of golf changed for girls. Um, they do have, um, they are saying it's changing the face of the game, and I strongly believe that. And I think that, I think girls, I think there's a, a bigger rate of girls coming into many sports. Um, it's just getting the girls to stick at it and stay with it. Um, the problem is that most sports don't get girl friendly. And what, what we mean by that is that it's just looking at what attracts girls and what keeps girls interested. So in girls' golf, to make it girl-friendly, we have the five E's. So it's empower, it's energize, it's exercise, it's enrich, and it's engage. So we look at those five E's kind of like um, the backbone to our book, and we end up focusing on how to empower girls, giving them the sense of authority or making, having them make decisions for themselves so they get a, 
a great sense of responsibility from what they're doing. It's enriching girls. It's making sure that every time they leave the golf course or a girls' golf event, they're leaving with something better and added to their life. So whether it's the knowledge of the LPGA history or whether it's talking about the LPGA tour or, or interviewing LPGA tour person um, or just trying to get the girls' lives and knowledge of the LPGA, engaging girls in different types of activities. Um, my focus in Girls Golf Mommy, which has been huge success, is that it's not just about the golf. I can get girls for the first five months of their golfing career to come to the golf course for a fashion show, for a camping trip, for a movie night, um, to come do a celebrity catwalk, to come and make cakes. Um, if I can just get the girls excited to finish school and get to the golf course, then that's the first step. Whether they pick up a golf club for the first five months or not, it's just engaging them to be at the facility. So that becomes a warm, positive place in the heart, somewhere that they want to go. And then eventually they'll grow into wanting to explore and, to, and make the most of the facility. I know Cindy knows this facility well. Um, we have a phenomenal facility. We have a great clubhouse for the juniors. Um, so as long as the girls finish school and they say, Mom, I want to go to Mel Reese, then I feel like I'm winning and engaging the girls to be at the right environment. Um, energized, it's making it positive and exciting all the time for the girls. So obviously boys come in there kind of, they don't care if there's glitter, if there's colors, um, or if there's gifts. Boys just want to come and grind on the sport. For the girls, it's just more of the visualization and seeing the pretty things and decorating the golf bags and, and seeing friends with head covers and getting a pink colored hat or a blue hat um, and, just, and just making sure that the girls are engaged in the, the full activity and getting a lot of energy from what they're about to do. And then obviously exercise. I'm not a big fan of exercise, um, so it's one of the hardest things for me to teach in girls' golf. But it makes a huge difference when I can say, I can stand there with the boys and just say, okay, 10-minute stretches. But with the girls, we can take an inflatable unicorn rubber ring that you use in a pool, um, a pool inflatable, and say, okay, let's run a relay with a giant inflatable unicorn. The girls will run and they won't <laughs> stop. And it's just amazing to see how you kind of tweak your activities to keep the girls interested and engaged and, and for all different levels. I have girls from three, three years old, and I have girls who are 17, 18 years old. I have girls who graduated my program who have come back as coaches um, just because it's engaging for all levels um, because it's fun and it's funky for the girls and it's just a place where you want to be because there's never a dull moment and it's always so much fun. And when you're smiling and you're positive and you're happy, no matter what you're doing in your life, you're going to do it better than if you're negative or you're stressed. So when they do pick up a golf club and they do have that good golf shot, they're a very positive route. So making it girl-friendly is just really focusing in on what it's going to take to attract the girls and keep the girls um, a little differently from the boys. And, and especially in the last decade, when girls' golf did a revamp and especially focusing on the five E's, it is a Bible for girls' golf. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And the, and the LPJ. Uh, along with its various partners and, and all of the, the professionals uh, throughout the LPJ have done a great job um, really bringing awareness uh, um, to the next generations. What are some of the other, I know you touched on a few, what are some of the other girl-friendly golf programs that you guys offer there? So we have, uh, we're the first tee of Miami. So my program's within the first tee of Miami. Um, we do have an Orange Bowl program, Drive for Excellence, which helps focus on the competitive tournament girls, um, within the girls' golf program, so we kind of get to go out for ladies' days and engage with other golf clubs. Um, 
we're a full all year round program. So with within the girls golf program, we have tournaments every month. We have social activities every month. We have a golf clinic every month. We do trips to Disney. We do family camping retreats. Um, I take these girls to as many LPGA Tour tournaments as I can, including flying them across the world to the Solheim Cup in Scotland last year. Um, I take the girls to Naples for the big CME tournament at the end of the year. We have a big Golden Tees banquet, which is to honor and give out awards and trophies for the girls throughout the entire year. Um, so we kind of have an avenue for absolutely everything. And we do scholarship, um, girls going to college. We do days where we're just have conferencing with successful collegiate athletes who've come out of uh, UM and other schools that are around our area. We have these girls interviewing. We actually have an interview channel called Birdie Booth, and we're actually doing one today. And these girls get on Zoom and they interview LPGA Tour players, CEOs of companies. And we had Mike Wan, the commissioner, on last week. So these girls are just empowering themselves. And we have, we have so many different programs and avenues for the girls that there's nothing that we don't cover. And it's not just golf-related. The socials are a huge part. We go ice skating once a month. We have movie nights once a month. We have pool parties. It doesn't even have to be golf-related. I just think that I want my girls to want to see their friends. And if their best friends are from the golf course, then there's a high chance that they're going to be at the golf course more often. Um, it's just a place for them to meet. If there's a, a mermaid party going on, a pool party, then having the girls just want to be at the golf course with their golf friends, it just keeps the attention rate for, for them staying in girls' golf. I yeah, that, that's a... That, yeah, go ahead. Cindy. How many girls? Go ahead. How many girls do you have? I started this program in 2015 with 15 girls, and now I have over 200. Wow. And why do you do this? Um, for me, it's a little bit more personal. Um, I was diagnosed with a bit of a sickness in 2015 when I picked up girls golf. Um, my playing avenue was kind of crushed, and I didn't. I didn't know what I was going to do. Teaching was never my, I was never in this world. You never heard me mention it for my whole life. It was never something I wanted to do. Um, and then I was approached by one of the girls who worked at LPGA Girls Golf um, to start a program in Miami. And I was like, eh, I mean, I can give it a go, but it's not going to be something long-term. I'm trying to figure it out. Started with 15 girls. And from the moment I had my first event, it was just, I do say girls golf saved my life. I'm, I fully support that because it gives me a purpose to wake up every morning. Energy that you get and the excitement, it's not like the force to be there. Every time I'm around any of the girls, they run up to me. And it's, we've been doing this now for, for five years. They run up to you like it's the first time they're seeing you. Um, and they're so excited to see you. And they want to tell you about their school plays and their, the music shows and everything that they're doing outside of golf. And <laughs> let me tell you, my social calendar, I am... I'm at more honor junior was it junior honor society debates meetings award shows school plays music shows I go to them all so we're like a huge family and it's just it's just it's really hard it's really hard to explain what you can get out of it um, it's it's way more than a job it's way more than just showing up and teaching a one hour clinic on the drive range it's literally my vacations if I go on vacation it's got something to do with the LPG or girls golf and I'm traveling with the girls and it's just it's absolutely incredible to know that. And I, don't, I never complain about doing it because just to see a, a girl so excited about going to a golf event, I would have drained, like, I could only dream of growing up with girls who were just as excited about golf as I was. And when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of girls playing golf. Um, I was always on the boys' team. So just to see how excited these girls are to go to an LPGA Tour event or go for a golf tournament or go to a clinic, it's just something that is absolutely breathtaking and I wouldn't change it for the world. 
Uh, it sounds to me like you're saving each other's lives. This is awesome. I'm so impressed with you. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great job. Go ahead, Ted. Yeah, Sorry to interrupt. I just had to fantastic. ask. No, no, that's okay. No, no, I think that's great. So, Stephanie, what do you think for – and you obviously see this firsthand. There's a lot of – young girls that come in at various ages, you talk about very, very junior girls up into um, their middle to late teens are involved in the program. Um, and once they get into that teenage, you know, years, uh, you know, their social lives become very, very in the forefront. What do you say to girls? What's the conversation you have with girls that maybe have come to the program, not really, um, you know, born and bred in golf as, as maybe you were, um, and have other distractions how do you get them focused and what do you say to them? Because there is so much competition now for a variety of different activities and, and golf, unfortunately in the school system, uh, at least here uh, is not high up in the ladder compared to other sports. So you're competing with sports and then you're competing with other social things. So when you get some of these teenage girls that maybe their girlfriends don't play golf, their parents, maybe are not really golf, but some reason or another, somebody's invited them. What's the conversation you have with them? I'm actually really lucky because, like I said, in the program that we have, once a month we have a social activity, a big one. And I do this for all ages to make sure that they're building bonds and their girlfriends and their friends that they're hanging out with are from the, the golf, the little golf group. I don't think I've had, and I know I've had the conversations like, hey, like you haven't seen you for a few weeks. And, and you've had the teenage girls who want to go to the parties or out on the boats or go to Miami Beach and things like that. Um, so having my social activities where I'm like, hey, we're going ice skating because all the friends are going to my social event. And on my social events, I have them bring their outside friends. We do a lot of activities where I say, look, it's bring a friend clinic. It's bring a friend tournament. It's bring a friend to caddy for you. It's bring friends, get, bring at least five friends ice skating. The more people go ice skating, the more money we get for a fundraiser. So they get to bring their outside school friends and their friends don't have to go, oh, I don't want to go golfing because it's not a golfing activity. We're going ice skating. We're going to the movies. Um, the biggest thing that we did is I started a camping retreat to Disney. And this was to make sure that the parents went, and it was a strip back. Um, it doesn't matter what car you drive, what house you live in, what part of Miami you live in. It was a strip back, sleep in a tent, go to Disney with your family, and for families to bond with other families so they were aware of who their daughter is around. So they can see their daughter. It's not just a drop-off, pick-off program. They can see who their daughter is around, who their daughter is spending time with, they get personal with the coaches. Um, they see all the e-leaders and the volunteers. And other parents, it's been, hey, I can't get it to this girl's golf event. You just carpool with another girl's golf parent. So to build other relationships. I know a lot of programs, and I can see a lot of programs um, having the issues with the older girls. But, I mean, right now we just had our trip canceled in March due to COVID-19. And... I've right. had to tell two. I've had to tell. I think we have 123 people come on the camping trip this year, and we've moved it till wow. to next February. And let me tell you, the older kids were more devastated that this trip got canceled than the younger <laughs> girls. They mm. they love it. The camping trip is so much fun. So it's just keeping them engaged. And I I'd reach out to any director, any instructor to try and make sure that there is some sort of bleed in from golf into their social lives and school lives whether that's bringing a friend day or bringing a fundraiser activity where they get to expose the friends. I hate the fact that one of my girls could live a double life. Um, 
meaning that they come to golf and they have their golf friends and then they go to school and they have that school group and they can't talk about the golf to the school group because it's not cool. I, I never wanted one of my girls right. to go through that. I wanted the girls to be able to go to school and talk about the golf activity that they, that they brought their friends to, even though it wasn't necessarily golf. If it was a fashion show, if it was a fundraiser, if, if it was working with homeless charities, um, to get their friends involved so when they go to school, they're still talking about the program, um, even if their friends don't actually play golf, and then their friends fully support it. I was lucky enough that when I grew up, my girlfriends had nothing to do with golf, but they were my number one supporters in everything that I did, and they would sit there and listen to me talk about golf, and they'd be super excited if I won an event and things like that. Um, and I wanted those, I want the girls down here to have that. Um, because I was lucky enough to have it. Um, and just to make sure that, that's what I said, my program has avenues for everything. So I, I do protect the girls in that sense, and that's something that I have thought about. And that's why I was social activities. And I sometimes I get negativity from it because they're like, oh, you're the social program. You're not just focused on the golf skills. I'm like, yeah, because we're girls, and I have to keep these girls interested. At 14 years old, yeah. if, I lose the, if I lose the girls, I'm not doing my job right. So what can I do right. to keep this girl at 14 years old when she starts looking at boys and the school parties and stuff like this? How do I get them to want to be, still be at the golf course? And right now I'm doing my job right because we keep that, but it's definitely something I thought about and something that I, I did work towards, and it's very successful right now. Yeah, oh, and that's so brings, true. Uh, you know, Steph- job. Yes. Yeah, Stephen, let me just make one more comment, and then, and then Cindy, yeah. I'll uh, pass it back to you. Um, you know, that's so true because, you know, up until – uh, this year with with uh, COVID-19, um, Cindy and I have had the pleasure of interviewing um, many of the winners from the Symmetra Tour each season for probably about the last four or five seasons. And it's interesting because although most of them do have some golfing friends, there's some that don't. And it is a, an awkward balance because, you know, when they're out playing on the Symmetra Tour or in some cases even the LPGA, um, and then they come home, uh, for a short, you know, uh, break or, or what have you, um, you know, they want to obviously spend time with their friends. So it, it, it's like you said, it's sort of that double life in some cases where, you know, they don't talk much about their golf or they don't talk about much when they come home. Um, so I think it's important that you, you, you do that because I think that's the only way really that girls golf is going to grow is that they, everybody, their friends, including, even if their friends don't ever play, that they at least have a better understanding of what goes on. And it's not just, you know, out on the range or out in the golf course beating golf balls all the time. There's a lot of other fun activities that can be associated with it. I think that's yeah. pretty accurate, would you say? Yeah, well said. Um, Cindy, go ahead. I am just totally impressed with you. I, yeah. You know, I feel the same way. I teach a lot of kids. I don't have near that many people or kids in my program because – I'm a crazy lunatic and do a thousand other things, but boy, you have found your purpose and God bless Mm -hmm. you for protecting these kids. I mean, you're going to be invited to a thousand weddings and, you know, be the (laughs) godmother and the aunt and the, you know, it's like you just changing their lives. So good for you. Wow. And it's my, my dad always said to me, he goes, if you wake up on a morning, he goes, you need to find a job where you wake up and it's not a job. Because if you ever wake up on mm-hmm. a morning and it's not your sole purpose to be happy to get up and go to work, you're doing something wrong. And I thousand percent can wake up every morning and I talk to my dad every single morning religiously and I'm able to tell him, yep, I, I'm happy today, I'm going to work, I'm doing this, and it's not a job. I'm just, I'm so lucky that I get to, to be around this. Um, the parents are amazing, the girls are amazing. Just to see them achieve and to see how confident they are and 
just to know that I am an extra person on their support team, I couldn't. I, I literally wouldn't change it for the world. Wow, good for you. Yeah, you have really the the ideal dream job because as a as a golf professional, because not only are you working and helping them to to grow their golf game. Um, but you're also gaining access to other social activities with them. So you get to see them in, in a different light, it's not just on the practice tee. Um, and that's a very unique um, uh, opportunity to have. So I can understand why you wake up every morning. Um, and, and I know you don't get into this area, but this is an area I'm sure at some point that, you know, we want um, um, particularly young women to to understand it's not just recreation um, but as you know, golf is intertwined now and has been for decades, certainly for the men, as a, a business tool, if you will. It's an opportunity to open doors uh, if, you know, if you're playing golf uh, uh, to bring that into mm-hmm. your business life. Um, now, again, obviously the little girls, you're not going to maybe do that so much and, and maybe even some of the older ones. But that's in your mind as well, is it not? When these young ladies get up, it's not just about the social aspect and playing. That's first and foremost. But it can open so many doors for them later on in life, um, being able to, to play this sport when they get into the corporate world. Well, all my girls know that, and we actually do a lot of events with the older girls just in a fun way where we bring in people who have got their jobs, uh, and they'll explain. I walk into a law firm, they saw my resume that I played golf, and I was automatically for the whole interview in a law firm, um, I was just talking about golf. Um, I have women right. who come in and speak to these girls. These girls interview women who will explain to you how golf was an avenue to get them to their dream job, even though the dream job has nothing to do with golf, how they get invited to these corporate golf outings, how they got their dream degree and their dream school and the most amazing um, experience in, in college because they played college golf, even though they didn't want to be a golf professional. So I make sure that mm-hmm. these girls know there is a thousand different um, occupations in the golf world. It's not just a golf professional. You can be a head mm-hmm. pro, you can be a superintendent, you know, you, there's so many different things that you can do. And we, I reach out to a screen, the, the Teaching Club Professionals um, National Teaching Summit. I met so many amazing ladies who are in so many different avenues of golf and have them reach out to the girls so it, the girls can interview them and they can speak and they can be on the Empower Committee to talk to our older girls so these girls have an idea of just if you want to be a marine biologist, what can golf do to help you succeed at that? And I told these girls there, mm-hmm. isn't, an, there isn't an occupation in the world where you can't use golf at some point in your life. Whether it's a um, mm-hmm. perfect example for the marine biology down here in Miami, there is a charity tournament that comes to our golf course, which is for people who are in the program in UM, and it's for all the veterinarians, and it's for all the people who are in marine biology and the shark tagging and all that stuff. And it's a charity golf tournament, so you get to meet so many different people in that field. So if these girls come out mm-hmm. and volunteer for that tournament, all of a sudden now they're talking to professors and scientists in the field that they want to study, even though marine biology has nothing to do with golf. Um, it's just right. giving you, and for me, putting the girls to the golf program, there isn't a seven-year-old in my program who couldn't get on this phone right now and do a radio interview with you. And that's at seven and eight years old. They are so confident wow. to stand up to stand up to um, males, females, adults, a group of people to teach the beginners coming in. I have girls where I'm like, I have to check myself. Like we have an interview um, this afternoon, and it's it's a online YouTube channel interview. I have nothing to do with it. I have three girls going to interview um, a police captain. She's a female police captain, 
And the, the girl leading the interview is nine years old. And she's going to lead this mm. entire interview when she's nine. So I'm giving them the, just a stepping stone to be able to reach out to the world and be able to sit into a college interview or do a college video or to sit in a job interview in the future and just be able to speak and be able to look at some of the eyes confidently and speak about themselves and their achievements and, and just be confident, empowered females. And that's a huge part of it. So, yeah, we do all the fun social stuff, but all my older girls, even through that, because they have to lead the clinics or they have to help sell the clinics to the new girls who are coming in or show that they're responsible enough to take the five-year-old during the clinic and, um, and show her the golf, girls' golf experience. And what these girls can do by the time they're 16, 17 is going to change this world. That's amazing. I, I, I can't tell you how impressive that is. You know, uh, I've had the, the pleasure over the last several years of interviewing a number of, of adult women, of course, who in the corporate world did not have that, that access initially and felt left out of the conversation, you know, when they would come in Monday mornings and, and the guys were, you know, uh, having the, the, the around the, the cooler talk, if you will, talking about the great round of golf they played with their buddies on the weekend or in a corporate event, you know, the previous week. And many of the girls that I had the pleasure of who are now involved, but at that, you know, uh, several years back were not. And they all said the very same thing. It was just amazing how many opportunities and doors were opened up just by simply having golf. Yeah. From the resident analogy, and I think that's fantastic that you're introducing. Yeah, I th- it's great that you're introducing it to them at such a young age, um, because then it helps them plan. I think better for their careers as they as they develop, because they they're going to have some skills, and whether they go on to play on the Cement or LPGA Tour or or you know work as a teaching club professional like yourself, um, it doesn't really matter. The fact that that's a new skill set, another skill set that they can bring to the table. And as you pointed out earlier with the uh, young lady that went to, to the law office for an interview um, that gave her something else besides all the legal spiel, if you will, to talk about in her interview and obviously ultimately got the job. So um, what a great job that you're doing, Stephanie. I, I, uh, I concur with Cindy. Uh, it's very, very impressive. Um, the program that you guys are doing uh, in, in Miami, just incredible. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Well, I hate to say it, but, job. but we've got yeah, we've we've got to wrap up, and and I think um, I think we're going to challenge you um, on a future show, Cindy. I think this would be a great opportunity. We'll have you back maybe a little bit later on because we know you're going to be busy through the summer, um, but maybe uh, towards the fall we will have you back on. And I think next time um, we might get you to to bring on a couple of your uh, your young girls to uh, uh, to join you on in the interview. How would that be? Oh my God, they'd be they'd be so excited. If you guys have a chance to go on YouTube, just look up Birdie Booth Miami um, and our Girls Golf Channel, and you'll get to watch the last four or five um, interviews that we've done, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and they would be so ex- you you would literally be mind blown. You'd have to check yourself and be like, "Wait, I'm speaking to a nine year old or a ten year old." It's it's amazing. It's it's literally it's the funniest thing because they just they'll just go off on a tangent and start talking to you, and they'll they'll tell you everything that they want to know about about the girls' golf life and their school life and how it's just, it's not a golf life and it's not a school life. It's just their life. They combine it all in one right. and it's just it's incredible. So I would love that opportunity. Well, we will well, definitely. Well, we're uh, going to do it. 
That's, that's right. Awesome. We're going to do it. Exactly. We want to be part of, of, of the next wave. So, Stephanie, thank you very much. And for anybody that wants to get more information um, in the Miami area, where can they reach out if they want to contact you or uh, the uh, USGA, uh, the LPGA USGA Girls Golf Program? Where can they go? Right. You you can Google us. Um, I have a website, lpjgirlsgolfmiami.com, with all our information on it. Instagram is a huge social media platform for us. We're Girls Golf of Miami on Instagram. You can DM us and reach out there. I have a couple of the old girls who run the social media, um, and we would be happy to speak to anybody who wishes to probably get involved as a participant or join a program near you, or even if you're an LPGA professional listening right now who wants to start a girls' golf site. I am here 24-7 to help you guys get started anything that you need with regards to girls' golf. Um, I, I wish more people could experience what I go through on a daily basis, and I would do whatever it takes to help people, to share that with people. Thank I you think that's so much. fantastic. Yeah, Stephanie, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, Cindy will definitely uh, connect with you, and, and we'll set something up in, in a little while uh, where you can come back and bring some of the young girls on the program. We'd love to have them join the show as well. But uh, go and have a great day, and we'll definitely uh, check out the YouTube uh, videos, if you will, um, interviews. But uh, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Women thank of Golf. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. it was an thank you, and have a great day. Thanks, Cindy. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Stephanie Pureth, uh, Site Director at the LPGA USGA Girls Golf uh, Program in Miami. Definitely want to go to their website and check that out. All right. um, That's our show. We hope you enjoyed it, and we look forward to you joining us next week here on the Women of Golf. And on behalf of Cindy Miller and I, I'm Ted Odorico. Uh, Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. God bless, everybody. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening this morning to the Women of Golf Show. Tune in live each week by visiting blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. If you can't join us live, check out our on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. To get updates for future shows and upcoming guests, you can follow us on Facebook at Women of Golf. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO and Cindy at Cindy Miller Golf. Please remember to join us next week on the Women of Golf Show. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.